Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. I'm Teddy Cahill, here for another college baseball podcast powered by Louisville Slugger. Today I've got with me Carlos Colazzo, and we're going to talk about the Baseball America preseason All-America teams, uh, which we released online this week. And later, we're going to have former Florida State star and current Orioles minor leaguer DJ Stewart on the homecoming segment, and he's going to talk all about Florida State and his career with the Knowles. Carlos really headed up uh, a lot of the, the, the reporting and the writing of that, wrote all the player capsules. So thank you for uh, for coming by today and, and, and talking about these All-Americans. Yeah, definitely. They've got a really talented group here, and obviously thanks to all the uh, front office guys who took the time to kind of give us the feedback for that because we don't actually determine these teams, thankfully enough. <laughs> we um, do not. So <laughs> at, at Baseball America, our preseason All-America team is voted on by Major League Scouting Directors. So they uh, they send we, we give them a ballot. They send the ballot back. We tabulate the votes. That's about all the choosing that, that happens is me, um, you know, tabulating who they voted for and lining them all up. Uh, this year we had 18 votes, uh, which is the most we've had in a few years. Um, so it's a it's a really good cross section. I feel like you know to get 18 of the 30 teams to to participate uh, in this gives us a, a good sampling. And what the you know we do it this way um, because you know it. We, we want these teams to be as forward-looking as possible. We don't want, you know, we, you saw our All-America teams in the, in, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so at the end of the season, we reward performance. Now we want to look at who the best talents are. So, um, you know, for more than 35 years, Major League Scouting Directors have been nice enough to vote on these teams for us. And they end up being um, a pretty good predictor of, on-field success, number one. Last year, Florida had the most preseason All-Americans. They win the national title. The year before, Florida and Louisville were tied for the most preseason All-Americans. They were the number one and number two national seeds. So you get on-field performance predicted, but we also get the first round predicted. Last year, nine members of the first team went on to become uh, first-round picks. And that number is going to be 10 soon enough because Nick Madrigal was on that team and mm-hmm. obviously not eligible last year, but this year is projected to, to be a first-rounder. So that when we look at this, you know, it, it, it does give us um, you know, some sense of what is to come both on the college field and then in the first round. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Nick Madrigal. I think he's 
one of two guys who have been on these teams in the past. Brady Singer, our current number one overall pick, was on, uh, I believe, the second team last year. So he's, he's familiar to these teams as well. But really the pitching group here kind of stands out to me. There are a number of guys ranked in the top 15 of our 200 prospects right now. Uh, a number of guys who are going to be taking the ball for their teams this college season on Friday nights. Uh, and really, you don't want to match up with a lot of them. I don't know if you want to jump into those guys now. Uh, we've got best tools as well that we can touch on uh, with some of these guys. I know just because from my perspective, tools are really exciting just to look about, look at, think about. Um, and there's some some interesting debates that I know me and you had, Teddy, when we were thinking about who we were going to name for, for some of these different categories. But I think this really just gives you a... Uh, a cool look at what some of these uh, players can do on the field, not necessarily looking at statistics, but just the the talent and the skill that they have as players. So. For sure. Um, so we mentioned pitchers. Let's mm. start with the pitchers. Um, the pitching, college pitching in general usually is pretty good. Mm-hmm. This year I think it's, it's a very good, uh, it's one of the strengths of the draft. And that's illustrated, I feel like, on this team when you have uh, Logan Gilbert, Shane McClanahan, Casey Mize, and Brady Singer as your first team starters. Mm-hmm. Um, all four of those guys are ranked in the top ten of our um, initial draft rankings. Um, you know, Singer at the top. Uh, you know, he's going to be Florida's ace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Casey Mize not too far off of him. Yeah, Casey Mize four, Shane McClanahan three, uh, and then we have Coar at eight. Uh, who's our last one? Gilbert. Gilbert at 14, yeah. And I actually just talked with a scouting director recently who I asked about the strengths of the class, and, and pitching came up very quickly, and it was actually uh, college pitching that he brought up. I've been I've been one of the guys who's been talking about the high school pitching depth, but really the college pitching depth This might happens be even every more year. Yeah. <laughs> you, in the summer, when guys, the, when guys go crazy guys, about yep. the high school pitching, and slowly mm-hmm. we just turn back to the, to the college pitching and the certainty – uh, that some of these guys provide, and um, you know that's already it's already happened. <laughs> exactly, we, we have yet to get out of January, uh, and the tides are now shifting. But no, very strong class. Uh, I got to see Shane McClanahan um, last year at a scout day with South Florida. He has a chance to have three plus pitches from the left side, and he's really a guy who looks completely different now uh, as opposed to when he was coming out of high school as a senior. I mean, he went through a huge growth spurt. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery, but he's come back from that and really shown really impressive stuff. Great strikeout numbers. He needs to get a little bit more uh, tight with his command in the zone, but he's got all the tools there as a left-hander in college, throwing uh, in the mid-tupper 90s with the fastball and a potential plus slider. He was pretty well regarded coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, he he'd kind of popped up that spring or that year in general, um, and is a part of a really strong recruiting class that, that South Florida was able to bring in that year. And, um, you know, those guys are juniors now. He, he's a redshirt sophomore mm-hmm. because of the, the Tommy John. But, you know, those guys, a few years into the program, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Bulls have uh, this year with, with Billy Mole and his first year as, as head coach with Mark Kingston moving over to South Carolina. But, um, you know, they have a really, really good Friday starter mm-hmm. And you know that's uh, if if McClanahan can can live up to the expectations this year, they uh, you know that's that's a really good piece to start with to to build around as as they try and um, you know return to the NCAA tournament um, this season. Logan Gilbert, mm-hmm. another um, you know smaller school guy in Florida, uh, was not as heralded coming out of mm-hmm. out of high school. Um, in part because he was largely a third baseman uh, until late in his career, but he's really come on on the mound, uh, especially 
in the last year. Yeah, I think for, for a lot of guys that I've talked to, a lot of scouts and then scouting directors higher up as well, he was the most impressive arm on the Cape for a lot of these guys. Posted a 1.72 ERA um, and was really just lights out the entire time. He's a big guy, six foot six, two 225 pounds. Uh, I don't have the extension numbers on him. I wish I did, but it looks like it's really impressive. Uh, the fastball is among the best in this class. Uh, and he's just got the frame, the stuff, the performance uh, that really just jumps out to you. I think the only thing uh, that, that he needs to, to prove going forward is just to, to be continue building that track record. Uh, he doesn't have the depth of track record as maybe some of these other arms do, uh, at least at this level that he's pitching at recently. So I think if he continues to, to pitch the way he has, uh, I guess, last summer, uh, he could shoot up even more. 14 might be low for him now, but... When you're factoring everything in, I think it's a pretty fair spot for him. Sure, sure. And then, um, you know, we, we've talked about Brady Singer mm-hmm. uh, at Nauseam. I want to continue P- people, talking about uh, him quite a bit. <laughs> people, people have probably gotten my thoughts on, on Brady Singer at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are rather good. He is rather good. Um, he's number one on the draft board right now for a reason. Mm-hmm. Casey Mize is a little more interesting um, in the fact that we've talked about him slightly less. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is that he, um, you know, people, there, there's some unknown there right now because his summer was abbreviated with, with Team USA. Mm-hmm. He only made, I, I guess it was seven innings, uh, only pitched seven innings for them mm-hmm. uh, before he he was shut down with injury. Um, you know, he's he's been fine since then, but I think a lot of people are going into this spring uh, eager to see what he looks like and, and how durable he is because also... Uh, he missed a few starts during the spring as well, and, mm-hmm. and then the summer was abbreviated. So I think people are, you know, scouts are eager to see uh, how he looks coming out of the gate for, for Auburn. Yeah, that's definitely the big question with him. Uh, just just health. He's got to get out there and pitch. He was named the, uh, the best control guy for our best tools. Uh, last year he had the best strikeout-to-walk ratio of any Division One pitcher. Um, I believe I mentioned that before. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the podcast, but 109 strikeouts and just nine walks and 83.2 innings. Uh, that's really impressive. So if he can get out there and do that on a regular basis, he's going to stick up here with these top guys, uh, as you would imagine, with him being on the first team. And you know, you mentioned that he was in there for best control. He could have been in there for best fastball mm-hmm. as well. Really, any of these guys could have been in there for best fastball. Yep, agreed. Um, you could make a case for Gilbert, McClanahan, my singer. We actually did go with Gilbert. Uh, now for the fastball, but really, if you named any of these guys and said they had the best, I wouldn't really argue with you for too long. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, depending on who it was, but yeah, all of them have elite fastballs. Um, yeah. Yeah, and the, the pitching in the SEC especially, not only is the college pitching really good, mm-hmm. I think the SEC pitching is exceptional this year. We've mentioned Singer and Mize already, uh, Jackson Coar, Singer's teammate, um, going to be a part of another electric Florida rotation. Connor Pilkington, Mississippi State's ace. Ryan Rollison, Mississippi's ace. Those three guys are all on the, the second team, mm-hmm. along with Tim Kate from UConn. And then on the, the third team, you got Sean Jelly from Kentucky, who was the SEC Pitcher of the Year last year. <laughs> you got Blaine Knight. On the third team. Blaine Knight, Arkansas's ace, who a lot of people expected to go out as a draft-eligible sophomore mm-hmm. last year. Didn't. He's back. He's on the third team along with Chris Bubich from Stanford and, and Stephen Gingery from Texas Tech. And uh, if that wasn't enough, uh, two of the relievers, Michael Byrne of Florida, who led the country in saves last year as your first-team reliever, and Dallas Wolfolk of Mississippi, 
was one of the the key relievers for Team USA over the summer, and he's on the second team. So mm-hmm. pitching in the Southeast, uh, it's uh, it's really good as usual. A lot of hard throwers on this list. I mean, uh, does, does anyone jump out here from from this group of, of SEC starters? Um, let's see. Uh, I think Coar just because. I know we're going to talk about Coar and Singer a lot, but just to have two of the guys this talented in one staff is really impressive to me. Um, just with the development that we heard about from him this fall, the curveball steps he's allegedly taken, uh, I'm really excited to see how that pitch looks this spring and if he can take another step forward. Um, he's got a great track record as is. Uh, you mentioned some of these other ones. Another guy who's interesting to me, maybe not an SEC guy, um, but Tim Kate with Connecticut. We talk about guys who throw really hard. He's not going to be at the top of the list when you're talking about flame-throwing pitchers. But he would he, not be the right choice for best fastball. Exactly, yeah. You, you probably wouldn't want to start that argument with him. But uh, it seems like it does start with best curveball when you're talking about Tim Kate. Um, I didn't really get a lot of pushback when I was just asking people about best breaking ball, best, best curveball for Tim Gate, Kate. Would you say that's fair? Is there another guy who comes to mind maybe? No, if we're just looking at curveball, I think it's him. Yeah. And, and then you got Sinner uh, for, for slider. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think those are the best two breaking pitches, potentially in the entire class, mm-hmm. definitely in the college class. Yeah, I think slider. I, I saw McClanahan's look pretty impressive. Um, maybe less less command and control with that pitch for him is probably what, what puts it behind Singer at this point. I think his has some potential. But, yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet to say Kate and Singer uh, I wouldn't really argue with you at that, with those two choices. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Jackson Coar being a part of that, and and how his curveball is developing. I mean, he also has this incredible changeup mm-hmm. um, that you know Chris Bubich, uh, I, I believe, got the he yeah. did get the the best changeup nod, and I don't think Coar is much behind him. But mm-hmm. uh, you know that that changeup is an incredible pitch for for Bubich, and he's another guy that like Kate isn't isn't going to be the hardest thrower, but mm-hmm. he he is a Whereas Kate is a is a smaller guy and doing it snapping off these these big curveballs and uh, posting huge strikeout numbers, Bubich is a, a bigger lefty. Um, really th- throws a lot of strikes, gets a lot of uh, people. You know, the, the changeup is a real weapon mm-hmm. for him. Gets a lot of people off balance with that. And um, you know, he's going to be at the front of the Stanford staff. And Tristan Beck did not make the All America team. He got he got some love though. Mm-hmm. There, he was not far off. I, I can tell you that. And um, you know, with him back healthy, um, Bubich and, and Beck at the front of Stanford's rotation, and, and Eric Miller uh, on Sundays, they're 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 going to be very tough to score against this year. And um, you yeah. know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Beck on the the, the postseason All American. Exactly, team. Tristan Beck is a guy who he's at number forty six right now on our top two hundred MLB draft prospects list. You can check that out if you haven't already. But he's a guy who, if he gets healthy and pitches like he has in the past, he's going to shoot up. He's going to be higher than that. He's a first round talent. If he's healthy, like like we've said before, the health is the big question mark. We don't, we can't really say anything until we get into the season. We see what he does, but yes, he's he's kind of the first pitcher I think of when you look over this list and you think of guys who maybe just missed. Uh, it's fitting that he was a guy who just missed. Are there any other guys who maybe jump out to you as players who who had a shot or maybe you think maybe got snubbed or guys that you just like? more than uh than we have on this list or do you think it's pretty pretty fair you know i i think when when we look at it um it's uh i think it's a really solid list Mm -hmm. uh i will say that uh wake forest's griffin roberts Mm -hmm. who is moving from the uh bullpen to the rotation this spring Mm -hmm. had a really nice cape um you know another guy that had a chance to go out as a draft eligible sophomore and, and is back 
Um, you know, he was close. Um, but personally, you know, I, I am more in the camp that I want to see him do it yep. for, uh, for a season. So I, um, you know, I, I, I think that him not being there, but being close was, uh, was, was a, a, yeah, that was, that was a good way to, um, to, to go. Um, you know, I, I think there's some, uh, underclassmen. The, the one thing I will say about our, our preseason All-America teams in general is that they, very much skew towards the draft eligible players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are some underclassmen that really could, and I'm not, they, they ne- don't necessarily need to be on here. Mm-hmm. They haven't done it as much as some of these other guys. But when I look at Zach Thompson at Kentucky mm-hmm. um, and I look at Sean Jelly, um, you know, at Kentucky, the, those two guys are going to be incredible in a rotation together. And I'll be, you know, I would not be surprised if Zach Thompson at the end of the year was, uh, you know, had the better numbers than Sean Jelly mm-hmm. and um, Nicola Dolo at, at TCU. I feel like he could be primed for a breakout. So those are two sophomores that I feel like um, you know they they had good freshman seasons. Mm-hmm. They were both all all freshmen, um, and I think they could be primed for mm-hmm. even bigger sophomore years. And, and we're going to be talking a lot about them next season mm-hmm. on this list for sure. Definitely two interesting guys to keep keep an eye on. So once we get past the um, the pitching mm-hmm. element of this, I, I think the next big part of the the college class that that scouts are excited about is the outfield. Um, you know, we've got on the first team here we got Griffin Conine from Duke, Grayson Genista from Wichita State, and Travis Swaggerty from South Alabama. Uh, one thing that stands out to me about that is that these are three schools that are not. You know, Wichita State has a lot of tradition. They have a national title. Um, you know, Duke is power five, but none of them are like the big powerhouses of, of today. Mm-hmm. And um, those three players all have a chance to be, you know, the best uh, position player in the country. I mean, you, you, you put Nick Mandrigal on that for sure as well. But those three guys, Conine, Genista, mm-hmm. and Swaggerty, you know, if any of them at the end of the year is the best position player um you know that's that's going to surprise no one. Exactly. Yeah, all three of those guys are top twenty-two in our draft rankings currently. We've got uh, Conine at sixteen, Swaggerty at fifteen, and Genesta at number twenty-two. All of these guys uh, really impressive bats more than anything. I think you look at Conine and Genesta maybe as more corner guys down the line potentially. But really, if you're picking bats, you can't go wrong with either of these these two griffin conine has been a guy who's hit for power in game maybe more than anyone other than i guess you could say seth beer at clemson he's done it quite a bit um but but the power production that he's had with Woodbat and in college is really impressive uh swaggerty a guy who seems like he's going to play center field and just hit wherever he is uh yeah three really good guys right there uh and i think you nailed it when you talked about the college class being having a strength in the outfield at this point I mean, you look at the second team, you see Virginia, Jake McCarthy, Kentucky's Tristan Pompey, uh, Oklahoma's Steel Walker, and then onto the third team, South Carolina's Carlos Cortez, Duke's Jimmy Heron, Cal Poly's Alex McKenna. And, you know, I, the, the second team, if, if, if McCarthy, Pompey, and Walker were the first team, um, you know, I think those three guys would still be really good. Yeah. You know, the, maybe a it, little less impact offensively, but yeah. yeah. In a, in another impressive. year, if that if that's your first team outfield, I think you're looking at it and saying, yeah, that's that's a really good mm-hmm. group. And 
Um, you know, Steel Walker was the one of the best hitters on Team USA right there with Swaggerty. Yeah, McCarthy might be one of the fastest guys in the class. And, and he was on Team USA with them, and, and, and Poppy would have been on Team USA, except that he's hashtag Team C. <laughs> and uh, as a Canadian, he had to go to the Cape. But, you know, he was an All-American last year and, mm-hmm. um, you know, put up some really big numbers and, and now is going to be yeah, asked to show... 361, 464, 541 with Kentucky. Yeah, with, with 10 jacks. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's going to be... Uh, Kentucky lost a lot of offense... He's going to be the guy they're they're looking to to build around this year, and um, you know I think that's a, a, the case uh, at Virginia as well mm-hmm. with McCarthy. Um, a little bit differently, he's going to have to hit at the top of the order uh, and be a table setter, whereas Pompey's going to going to hit more in the middle of the mm-hmm. order and, and be asked to drive in some runs. But and, and Steel Walker too, you know th- those guys are going to be the driving forces of of those teams, mm-hmm. and uh, we think those teams are all going to be pretty good this year, and, and a large part of that is is because of these outfielders. Um, you know, there's some areas here that, that are not quite as deep. Mm-hmm. Um, catching, uh, is, is one part that, that is not quite as deep. I, I think we've probably covered that before on, on some podcasts. I feel like I've talked about it a lot, but, you know, Joey Bart is your first team catcher. Um, and he is really high in the, the draft, uh, list projected first rounder right now. Yep. He's but right in the middle of it. Number 20. After that. It's a little it's a pretty steep drop off after Joey Bart. <laughs> when Joey Bart is your best defensive catcher, not to knock on Joey Bart's defensive talents, but I think we talked about this. Like he isn't a guy you think of as that maybe elite defensive catcher. Now maybe I'm wrong here, and I don't know enough about Joey Bart's defensive ability. I heard some good things, but I don't think he's the guy you think of as an elite catch and throw guy. Not that no, that's he, what you have to be to be. From what we've told out. is that uh, you know he. What, what we've heard is that he's gotten a lot better mm-hmm. uh, this fall. That that he he put in a lot of work on to improve his defense. But I mean that's never been his calling card going back to high school mm-hmm. um, when he was a pretty prominent recruit for Georgia Tech and. Um, I, I'll be very interested to see him uh, this this season, see how he handles it, um, because right now he is kind of being looked at as as the top catcher in the class, potentially the top overall catcher. I know there are some good high school catchers, but yeah, there's I, a chance that he's the number one catcher in this class. I think you could, if you said today that Joey Bart's the top catcher in the class, I think that's pretty accurate. I think Will Banfield is a high school catcher that's close, but at this point there are more questions, I think, with him. Uh, and more that he's got to prove. So, yeah, Joey Bart is likely the top catcher in the class. I don't know if there's a ton of separation between him and the second guy, but as far as safe bets, the high school catching class is very risky, as as we well know. Uh, and, and Joey Bart is a guy who's hit and hit for power in college uh, and has a wooden bat track record as well. Uh, he, didn't have an, he didn't have a great summer this year, just was injured and dealing with some stuff. But in 2016, he hit 309 um, with Wareham in the Cape Cod League. So... He's got a good track record, and all signs point to him improving and taking another step. So, he uh, so he's your first team catcher. Your first team first baseman is Seth Beer. You've heard us the talk about Seth, Seth Beer, Beer a lot. <laughs> we will talk about Seth Beer more later. We're moving on. Uh, second baseman Nick Madrigal, as we said, repeating on uh, the preseason mm-hmm. All America first team. He uh, he is far and away the the second baseman of choice here. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you the, the voting behind him was rather spread out. He is one of two unanimous selections. Him and Brady Singer are <laughs> unanimous picks. Um, behind him on the t- second team is Devin Mann, Nick Dunn of Maryland. On the third team, several other second basemen were in contention. They're, um, you know, it, it's, it's college second baseman. It's not a sexy demographic. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Madrigal definitely stands out from that more pedestrian 
demographic that, that he he transcends the demographic mm-hmm. is I guess what I'm trying to say exactly I mean he's our top position player right now according to just going off of MLB draft prospects at number seven uh, I mean he's a guy who he's for best tools he was best hitter I mean he's a guy who maybe not has has the impact of some of these other players but everywhere he's gone he's hit um and he has the defensive skills to maybe play shortstop at the next level. I think that's going to be one of his bigger questions this year. Um, but pretty much a lock, like you said, for second base on this team and a guy who's who's really done everything you want him to in college so far after two years. You know, if I put him on the ballot at shortstop, uh, he would have been the first team shortstop. <laughs> I don't know if it would have been unanimous. Probably it would have been, but mm-hmm. he would have been the first team shortstop. Yeah. And uh, you know, but we're expecting him to play more second base. Caden Grenier to play more. Shortstop as shortstop. Yes, and, and that's that's the way they finished last year. That's that's what we're expecting mm-hmm. this year. So instead, we have Jeremy Ironman as yep. as the first team shortstop, Grenier uh, second team, and uh, you know we got Nico Horner from Stanford down here on the third team. Ironman um, following trying to follow in Jake Berger's footsteps and uh, you know be a be a first round pick from Missouri State two years in a row. Yeah, he tied for fifth in the country with Brent Rooker last year with 23 home runs. He had a bit of a down summer. I think he hit a team low 135 with Team USA this year, so it wasn't a great look for him. Uh, but it was a pretty short sample. He's a guy who has a chance to have a lot of impact from the shortstop position and a chance to stick there moving forward. Uh, I think, again, like Madrigal, you're going to have some questions uh, in different manner, in a different manner about whether he's going to be able to stick at shortstop. Maybe he's forced to move to third base because he's a bigger guy. Um, maybe not as quick as you'd want from a shortstop, but he still has a chance to prove that he can play there. Uh, and when you're looking at a guy who can hit 20-plus home runs and play shortstop, that's it's a very special talent. So I'm looking forward to seeing him more this year as well. Absolutely. And um, Alec Bohm mm-hmm. is your, uh, your first-team third baseman, part of what should be a very powerful Wichita State lineup with uh, Grayson Genesta there uh, as well. And um, you know, I, I feel like third base, not the deepest position this year. Johnny Aiello, second team from Wake Forest. Jonathan India, third team from Florida. Um, you know, as far as draft prospects go, third base is always a tough one mm-hmm. because a lot of guys, uh, and Bohm included in this, you know, get looked at as can they stay at third base. Mm-hmm. And the guys that, that can stay, and Aiello too for that matter, and if you can stay at third base and people aren't questioning that and – you're, that that describes Jonathan India, then people are usually questioning your bat, and mm-hmm. that's where we are with Jonathan India. So, um, you know, these guys all have questions. Uh, Boehm has the most impact potential. Uh, his power is exceptional. He's a career 300 hitter everywhere he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it will be interesting to see how he handles uh, or how, how he answers those defensive questions this mm-hmm. spring. Yeah, I think probably Scouts would like to see him have that power translate more into games. Uh, I know he's hit for power in the past, but 6 and 11 home runs in 2016 and 2017, respectively. The raw power, he's got raw power to exceed those. And those he is totals. huge. Yeah. Like, there's every expectation. Like, there's every reason to believe that there will eventually be more power mm-hmm. there, that he'll, uh, he'll you know, learn how to backspin the ball better and that he will eventually uh, grow not even grow into the power. When yeah. you see him and Grayson Genesta, like they coming off the bus, they are what they are what it looks like. <laughs> and the reports about him handling the strike zone this summer were very impressive. So it's not like he can't handle the zone or struggles with pitches or anything. I think it's just more of a question of of seeing it actually play more in game. But definitely a, an impact bat at third base with Alec Boom. And then uh, we got two way players: Tanner Dodson, first team, 
Uh, Tyler Holton from Florida State. Second team, Matt Walner, the freshman of the year in 2017 from Southern Miss at third team. Without Adam Hazley and Brendan McKay, the position yes. is a little less appealing. It's a lot less exciting than yes. the 2017 class, for sure. Um, <laughs> that being said, uh, Dodson is a guy that it will be exceptionally interesting to watch this season unfold, to see how how well he hits and how well he pitches and how he gets evaluated doing both right mm-hmm. now. It's a big question about which way he looks better, uh, what role you like him in on the mound. There's a lot up in the air with him, mm-hmm. and I, I think it'll be very interesting to see how, how it plays out there at Cal, especially with uh, a new coach, Mike New, um, you know, coming in. And how, how is he going to uh, choose to use Dodson, um, and, and how, how does Dodson respond to, to any, any of the you know, critics or, mm-hmm. or whatever? Yeah. With him, I guess, do you lean either way as far as pitcher or hitter? Because I think the scouts that I've talked to are pretty split at this point as to whether he's a hitter or a pitcher at the next level. And in 2017, over the summer, he pitched 24 innings in the Cape Cod League to a 3.7 ERA, 16 strikeouts and 5 walks. And then with the bat, he hits 365 with a 461 on base percentage. So he's doing it both in an elite wood bat league. He's done it at Cal. I have no idea what he's going to be down the line. <laughs> I think uh, in the past I've always heard pitcher first, but then he went out and led the cape in hitting, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that maybe started to change some minds. And uh, a lot of these two-way players um, maybe prefer hitting mm-hmm. um, because they like to be uh, in that everyday action. Um, they like that aspect of it. Um, so it would be interesting to see if he um, wants to do one over the other, mm-hmm. uh, especially. And then, uh, but if you do like him on the mound, there, there's question about whether he's a reliever or a starter. Yep. So if you if he winds up if you wind up deciding that he's a reliever, maybe you're better off letting him hit and prove that he can hit or, or prove that he can't hit because mm-hmm. he does have this unconditional unconventional uh, setup at the plate. You know, if it's going to be just a reliever, you know. Maybe there is more impact there as an outfielder because he's he's a really good hitter too. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyler Holton is uh, definitely a pitcher. I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's the way he's been used mostly at Florida State to this point. Uh, but when he does get to hit, uh, he's always been pretty good at it. And I think they're going to use him a little bit more offensively this season. Mm-hmm. He's also their Friday night starter. Um, as a pitcher, he's not. Uh, he doesn't have like this dominating electric kind of stuff that uh, we look for as a draft prospect. But I think you just have to respect the track record. He oh, went yeah. ten and three, two thirty four <laughs> last year. He was really good for USA. Two point seven nine his freshman year. Yeah, and it, innings. You figure he's going to be another uh, another big performer this year. So I, you know, someone is going to going to give him a chance. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think he can have success in pro ball. We'll see mm-hmm. how. It'll be hard for him to match this success, but we'll we'll see how he uh, how he translates. And then Matt Walner, still just a sophomore, a little more hitting than pitching right now. Um, hit 19 home runs as a freshman. Uh, it'll be great to see him get back out there this spring. Hopefully, he's a little healthier. He did not pitch as much last year because uh, of a hip issue. So if he's able to get past that, able to get back on the mound, he's he's just this dynamic two way guy mm-hmm. and. Um, it'll be interesting to see his career unfold over the next uh, couple years. So long story short, we have no Brendan McKay or Adam Hazley this year. <laughs> we do not. 
Um, but maybe one will develop. Yeah. You know, that's 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 the the wonderful thing about these two-way players over the last few years is that as one elite two-way guy exits, another entered. Uh, at least that was the case when A.J. Reed moved on to pro ball and college baseball got Brendan McKay. So mm-hmm. Brendan McKay has moved on. We are looking for the next in the line. Maybe it'll be one of these three guys. Uh, maybe maybe we're maybe it'll be someone else. Yeah. There, there are lots of two-way players out there. Uh, for now, Tanner Dodson voted first team. Um, so, Los, those are, those are your uh, preseason All-Americans. We, we ran through a lot of these best tools. Uh, Travis Swaggerty, best athlete. Um, you, know, you mentioned Nick Madrigal, best hitter. Seth Beer, best power. Uh, Jake McCarthy, fastest runner. Of these hitters, um, you know, what, what stands out to you among the, the best tools? Uh, well, Madrigal is always a guy I like to talk about just because he's been a guy who I've seen more than these other guys. Um, but the ability for him as as a five foot seven, five foot eight guy to constantly barrel the ball, use those quick wrists at the plate, and hit the ball with authority um, is really impressive to me. I think we we talk about the questions of impact with Madrigal moving forward, but I think if you look back at his sophomore season, his numbers. The power numbers don't show up there in home runs, but he did slug 532. Uh, that's pretty impressive for a guy who's who's that height in that conference to me. Um, I think there's an argument with best hitter between him and Seth Beer. Uh, what, what puts Madrigal apart for me is just the wood bat track record. Beer doesn't really have that to the extent that Madrigal does, so I'm pretty happy with, with uh, Madrigal as our best hitter. Um, how about you? Do you think that's pretty fair? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was uh, pretty clear cut. You know, I mean, the, the reason why everyone likes him as much as they do, uh, apart beer. from uh, beer Madrigal, uh, Madrigal, okay. uh, apart from the um, you know little things he does on the field, is uh, all about his his hitting ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then beer too. Um, you know, his his power is maybe what gets noticed the most, but his plate discipline is exceptional. Um, a lesser hitter, especially last year, but in his freshman season as well, would have probably freaked out by the way <laughs> they were getting pitched. But he really didn't. You know, he was he's willing to take his walks, and he's had he had 62 walks his freshman season with 27 strikeouts, and then he followed it up with 64 walks as a sophomore and 35 strikeouts. I mean, That's if you're ridiculous strikeout to walk numbers, if you're willing to, if you want to treat him like Barry Bonds, circa 2002, like Seth Beer is willing to let you do that, and he will take the walk, and you're going to have to come to him, and um, you know, if you do, he has the ability to really make you pay. So. Um, you know, it's a little bit different kind of hitting. Uh, you know, Madrigal is obviously the, you know, always going to have a higher average than Seth Beer, but I, I think Seth Beer's hitting ability, just his pure hitting ability, is mm-hmm. uh, especially from his pitch recognition and, and plate discipline standpoint, is yep. it's very impressive as well. For sure. Um, so those are your preseason All-Americans. Uh, they're going to change uh, throughout the season. Um, we'll see guys go up and guys go down and, It'll be fun to see about a couple of those potential guys yeah. who could rise. Yeah, yep. and it'll be fun to see where these guys end up on the uh, on the postseason team, um, and we'll be back uh, to talk about that then. But for now, uh, I want to thank Carlos for joining me. Oh yeah, it was a blast. Thanks, Teddy. Absolutely. And now on the homecoming segment, we are going to talk with Florida State former Florida State star DJ Stewart former ACC Player of the Year, and current Orioles minor leaguer. He is headed to big league camp this year. Um, And DJ 
talks all about Florida State, how good the Knowles are going to be, and uh, looks back at, at his career. Today on Homecoming, uh, like we said, we have DJ Stewart, former Florida State star, uh, ACC Player of the Year, and current Baltimore Orioles minor leaguer, just invited to big league camp, uh, which will be starting pretty soon, just like the college season. Um, you know, and so DJ, happy to have you here on the podcast to, to talk about the Knowles and, and, and to talk about your college career. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's always great to do stuff like this and even better when it's talking about my nose. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the Seminoles this year entered the season ranked number three in the Baseball America preseason top twenty-five. Coming off a mm-hmm. College World Series berth, looks like another really strong year in Tallahassee, um, and it could be a really big year as uh, you know Mike Marin is going for the all-time wins record. DJ, just what uh, what do you think about the the Seminoles this year and? Um, you know, I, I, it looks like a pretty exciting team that that's coming back there. Oh yeah, um, I, I don't know as much as I, I have known in recent years, just because this is the first year that there's actually no one there uh, left that I actually played with. Um, but I still I still know a little bit of information. Uh, uh, they of course have returning starters like Tyler Holton, who was absolutely dominant last year. Um, they have very strong uh, pitching staff. Tyler's going to lead the way. Um, they have a very strong bat uh, in Drew Mendoza. He uh, he was, he was kind of hampered a little bit with injuries last year, but once he was healthy and started to find his swing, I think he let everyone know what, what he's about and what he's capable of. But they got that preseason rank number three. Um, I'm pretty sure last, the year before they were preseason rank around the same, I think three or five or something like that. Um, they got off to a little bit of a slow start last year, so hopefully this year it'll be a little bit of a faster start and they'll be able to transition and just just get going on the right on the right foot just because you don't want to ever just let the, the ranking be, be a number that you overrank oh, number three or whatever and not go out there and perform you need to go out there every single day and prove to everyone why you are ranked where you are and just know that when you step on the field it's going to be a battle every single day no doubt um you know and and last year like you mentioned they did start off a little slow there was a there was a lot of angst that um you know the 40 win uh streak might come to an end that the regional streak might come to an end all of that proved to to not be the case and they ended up back in Omaha, um, you know, but that 40 win streak is one of the most impressive things, you know, I think in college baseball, just how many years in a row Florida State has won 40 games. You were a part of that, obviously. Um, what do you what do you, what's the key to that? Like, why? Why does Florida State keep winning 40 games year in and year out? Uh, the key to that is just our coaching staff and our, our preparation each and every day, um, honestly. Um, we get different guys in there every single year, but it takes the older guys to teach those younger guys how things are done in Tallahassee, and they know what they're getting themselves into when they when they commit to a forest day. Um, they, they see the writing on the wall, and they know that they have to come in and do the same thing. No, no one there wants to be the class that doesn't get it done. So I think that that pushes everybody every single day, and they want to get better. And it's just, it's just what we do in Tallahassee, honestly. 
Yeah, I mean, that that definitely is what Mike Martin does, what, what the Knowles do. Um, you know, and then last year, you know, they end up in Omaha. Um, again, that's uh, a, a place where the, the Knowles haven't just haven't been able to get it done over the years, despite the, the mm-hmm. many trips. Um, were you able to, to watch in the, the World Series last year? I, I know it's tough with uh, with your own season, mm-hmm. but but it, with it being on national TV, does that make it a little easier for you to to see the, the games? Yeah, um, I was able to watch a, a few of the games. I was never able to watch a full game from first pitch to the last inning of the game just because the time frame of it, and I'm either having to go out on the field for BP or get ready for my game. So I was able to watch a little bit on and off. Um, the cool thing about them going last year is I still had guys on the team, on that team that I actually played with, and my uh, my dad and brother were actually in Omaha. I have a 11-year-old brother, and he had a tournament in Omaha during the same time as the College World Series. So they actually got to go to the game. He got to hang out with all the coaches. Like it's basically like you, like I was still there at school because he was all. My little brother was always on the field with me whenever I was there. So it was basically like I was still playing, but he got to experience it a little bit more. And, I got to watch a little bit. Um, they played some very tough games out there, but anytime to, anytime you get to Omaha, you're dealing with the best eight teams left in the country. So I think that even to get there is just a tall task, and to do it is a great accomplishment. My three years there, we had some of the some of the best teams that I I think were even a part of Florida State history, and we didn't go a single time that I was there. So. Just to get there, I know how hard it is to get there, and just to get there and compete and win win a game or two there like they did, that, that that's a huge accomplishment and something that they have to look forward to this year. You know, kind of the thing that, that maybe could be a building block. Uh, you know, as mm-hmm. as they go into this year, now they have that that extra experience. Um, exactly. You know, of course, last year Florida wins the national title. Uh, mm-hmm. Your uh, your big rival. What is that rivalry like? You know, I mean, that that series, um, you know, played on midweeks, you know, both Gainesville, Jacksonville, Tallahassee every year. Uh, always a fun one. And uh, a lot of years that it winds up being in the postseason again. Uh, we'll see if maybe with the, the rules change that um, we're going to seed the top 16 teams in the country. Maybe that that matchup will become a little less common in the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. but, but it is a, it's a huge rivalry I know. And just from your perspective as a, as a player, what, um, you know, what makes it so much fun, uh, to play in? Um, from my perspective as a player, the thing that makes it so much fun is neither school really likes each other at all. <laughs> um, and the way baseball is, you, you actually play with, you play like summer ball and stuff with players from different teams, different college teams. And you go and you play, you play summer ball with a Gator and it, it, there's nothing, nothing wrong between you once you're outside of those colors, garnered gold or orange and blue. But as soon as you put those colors back on and you're going up against each other on the field, no one likes each other. So that's what, that's what makes, makes the rivalry so great and for me it makes it even more special is the fact that we do it one in Tallahassee one in Gainesville one in Jacksonville I'm from Jacksonville so to me it's like I get I get two home games kind of because I'm coming back home actually in front of all my friends and family they actually get to make 
make that game and even they'll even make the ones in Tallahassee and Gainesville too but it's really cool for me just because I get to go and play such a big game and such a cool atmosphere in Jacksonville back home no doubt um and then Mike Martin obviously an incredible coach like I mentioned he's he's closing in on the the wins record I believe it's 33 wins to to catch Augie Garrido um what about Mike Martin? You know, he, he's had this incredible career, obviously, really long time, uh, more than 1,900 wins already. Uh, no national championship, of course, but he, uh, he's been to Omaha many, many times and many ACC titles, all, all the rest of this. What about him, uh, for you, ma- makes him such a special coach? The thing that makes him so special is the, the fact that he comes out there every single day as long as he's been doing this, he comes out there every single day and he still loves doing what he does. He does. He isn't complacent with the amount of wins that he has and doesn't look at those numbers, but he's out there every single day to try to get you better. And I think that that's how he gets the players that he, he does. They come in there like I was. I came in there in hopes of getting him that that first national championship. Everyone wants to be a part of that. So he continues to get those players each and every year, and he shows them that just because he's been doing this for so, so long, such a long amount of time, that he still loves it. He It's like he's out there playing himself, and he just wants to get you better and wants to show you how things are done and do them the right way, and you'd love to play for a guy like that. And it seems like players absolutely do love playing for him. Um, he uh, he's he's also uh, Florida State for me. When when I think about them, I often think about how disciplined uh, the the Knowles are always uh, at the plate. And you know, you're you were a great example of that. You walked more than you struck out in your career. Um, what did did you come into Florida State with that mindset, or did they uh, did they help you get to that mindset? Just how did you develop that that kind of uh, a discipline that has carried over into pro ball? Uh, you know, pretty well for you. You walked 65 times last year and only struck out 87. I mean, is that the kind of thing that that you've the kind of player you've always been, or or did they help you get to to that point? Um, it's a little bit of both. I actually, for most of like my amateur career, like high school, middle school stuff like that, I I was a leadoff hitter, so. I was, it was always preached to me to see my first at bat, see, see a lot of pitches just so the guys behind me can, can kind of get an idea of what the pitcher has and what he's throwing. So a lot of times early on in the game, I would see a lot of pitches and kind of work the strike zone. And more and more, I got accustomed to being comfortable hitting with two strikes. And then when I got to Tallahassee, it's something that we work on. We, we do drills each and every day to, work on strike zone recognition. If if he hangs a, a breaking ball or chains up high, let loose on it and actually hit it. But if he makes a, a great pitch early in the count, a curveball down the zone, change up down the zone, or even a fastball down the zone, something that we can't really do a lot of damage with, it's okay with us taking it and making him throw that next pitch, making the pitcher actually have to work and, and not get through any any inning easy so we want to we want to honestly make the pitcher have to work we don't want him to go be cruising through five or six innings and only have 45 or 50 pitches we want to make sure he's throwing 
a lot of pitches every single inning. So we we work on that and preach that is if we can get if we can get that first guy on and actually make that pitcher work and then kind of let the crowd get 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 into that that pitcher that plays to our advantage, especially when we're at home. So it's something that we always work on and something that I I had kind of in my DNA. But once I get a, got to Tallahassee, they really really helped me kind of perfect it a little bit. It's certainly a, a strategy that that has worked for for Florida State over the years. When you think about your college career, um, you know what what kind of moments stand out for you? Um, one of the the moments that I think will, will never leave my mind is actually the year before I got to Tallahassee. Um, they were playing Stanford in the Super Regionals, and I was there. Um, came to the game to watch it. And they had Mark Appel on the mound, and the crowd's just going crazy. I actually felt the, the stadium shake, like, as a as a fan. And then the next year, I'm there playing Indiana in the Super Regionals, and I'm getting ready to step into the box in a big situation. And I actually felt the stadium, like, shaking as a player. So that's one of the moments that I'll, I'll actually never, ever forget. It was kind of... Twofold. I saw, I saw it as a fan and as a, as a crew who's going to be here next year. And then the very next year, I'm actually in the box digging in and I feel it, the field shaking while I'm playing. So as I try to tell as many players that are considering Florida State that story, just because that's something that will never leave me and something that I'll always have and be able to tell my kids and grandkids, honestly, it, it, it was just surreal. And that's one of the moments I'll never forget. Yeah, I mean, the, it, it's a it's a very very special ballpark uh, there, and and the the fans are are, are incredibly supportive, and um, you know I imagine that um, it, it has a lot of uh, you know I, I the the football team is the football team, but but I imagine mm-hmm. that that you you feel that that same kind of kind of energy um, that that you you see in the stands at, at the football games there. Yeah, you you definitely do, and 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 as much as. Florida State is a football school is just as much a baseball school. The programs, each program, their history of what they've done and what they've been able to accomplish is just spectacular. And you don't feel like you're at a football school when you're in Tallahassee. You feel like you're at a football and a baseball school. Football players get along with the baseball players. And in my experience, the three years that I was there, it it just, it was awesome. it, it also helps that our football team won a national championship while I was there, too, so it, it makes it even more special to me. Absolutely. Um, when you see there, – there are a lot of Florida State players in the minor leagues, just like yourself, and uh, when, when you see those guys around, I mean, is there, is there kind of a bond that you guys all have and, and, and share as, uh, as former Seminoles? Oh, yeah. Any, anytime we're either on the field or – um, not uh, outside the field seeing each other. Anytime you you uh, you get around those guys, it's like family. Whether you played with them at Florida State or they were there before you or after you, it's still a, a mutual bond. Everyone has respect for each other because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, we're all trying to get to Florida State to do what the guy before us did. We, we don't want to let that guy – that played there before us down. So we're all there with the same common goal is to win for 11 and win that first national championship in Florida State history. So 
it's always a good bond between Florida State guys. I, I love 11, and uh, one of the things I like about him is uh, just how uh, unique he is when he speaks. Uh, did, did anyone uh, – <laughs> who's the best – Who's the best person that, that has the best impression of, of Mike Marin that, that you've heard? <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's, there's honestly all types of guys who, who try to impersonate him, and everyone does their own unique, unique job of doing a certain thing. It's whether he's, he's getting on to you or he's ecstatic or happy. We all have our own, own little ways of kind of <laughs> trying to act like 11. So I don't know if there's one – one specific guy, but we all kind of contribute to the to the eleven antics as we as we call them, um, just trying to mimic some of the things that he does. Because the way he he gets excited, it, it, he's honestly like like a little kid. Like when something exciting happens, he he's like a little kid, and it's like he like I said, it's like he, he's playing the game for the first time and gets super excited. So we'll we'll poke fun at him for that, and it's all fun and. We just love it. So there's not really one guy. We just we all all have a little bit of a hand in, in doing that. <laughs> that is fantastic. College baseball is better with Mike Martin in it. So before I let you go, DJ, uh, <laughs> do you have a prediction this year for for the Seminoles? Uh, prediction for the Noles. Um, my prediction is eleven will will be the all-time leading wins leader in college baseball. Um, they will get to the illustrious 40 wins and they will get to Omaha. What do you think that's that my, that's my prediction? What, what do you think it means, uh, when, if, um, Mike Martin is able to, to break that record, what, what does that mean to, to you and to other former players? Um, to me, I think it, I mean, it shows to everyone that, I mean, he is, he is the most winningest coach in, in college baseball. And it's not easy to do that. I mean, every single every single year that he's been there, he's won 40 games. And I don't think people realize how how actually hard that is to do, especially now now with kids are not just going to certain schools, the, the same certain schools. They're going all over. They're branching all over. There's kids that are actually staying home as opposed to, leaving their hometowns and and playing for they're actually playing for their home school or whatever so it the teams are getting better and better the conferences are getting better and better so to do that each and every year and just be as consistent as he is it, it, he, he doesn't have a down year his down years are still 40 wins so I, I i think that people don't really understand how hard that is and you look at like a year like last year where they had they had a team that was ranked high. They got off to a terrible start. Everyone's counting them out. The streak's going to end. The regional's going to end. And what do they do? They prevail. They they come together as a team, and that starts with the leadership at the top and works its way down. They prevailed as a team, and when they made a run in Omaha when people were saying they weren't going to get 40 wins and weren't going to make a regional. They got all the way to Omaha. So I think, I think that's what it says about him and just – says the type of coach and type of man that he is. It really is incredible, uh, and it'll be a lot of fun to watch uh, the season as it unfolds in Tallahassee with uh, with Mike Marin going for that record and, and the Knowles going for their first national championship 
DJ, I want to thank you for joining me here on the homecoming segment of the Baseball America College podcast. It's been great to, to talk about Florida State and, and a little bit about your career as well. So thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and um, good luck uh, with the rest of your uh, podcast, and thanks again for having me. That'll do it for this edition of the Baseball America College podcast, powered by Louisville Slugger. Uh, Thank you again to DJ Stewart for joining us. Thank you, Carlos, and thank you all for listening. We'll be back with another edition of the podcast soon as the college baseball season is fast approaching. So we'll be talking to you then. Thanks a lot, guys. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.